You're listening to Country Life with Keith Fahey on Galway Bay FM. So on tonight's show, we'll have former IFA president Joe Healy, who will discuss the Cultivate Loans. We'll have Frank Hines, CEO of Fresh, Pasture, Fresh Pastures, discussing farmer health and well-being. And we'll have Joe Kelleher, an organic specialist with Chagas. Welcome to Country Life and the same as every week if you have any queries or you'd like to contact the show please don't hesitate on emailing me at countrylife um, at galwaybayfm.ie so that's countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie if you have any topics or questions or have any issues or any questions you'd like uh, covered so just in relation to some of the Mart reports so the Lockray Mart so we've seen the sheep sale uh, prices um, are good lambs have improved by 3 to 5 euro per head but good lambs are scarce and store lambs and coolios remain the same uh, with sample prices including 38 kilos at 95, 42.5 kilos at 117, 43 kilos at 120, 44 kilos at 130. Then just looking at some colios in Lockray Mart, 74.5 kilos sold for 101, 80 kilos sold for 114. Um, then onto the whaling trade, again a good trade on Friday last uh, with bulls and heifers in good demand. Some examples are uh, sample prices of bulls include a Charlie Cross 212 kilos sold for 780, a 275 uh, Charlie Cross sold for 870 um, then looking at some other cattle prices in relation to bullocks um, a 371 kilo Aberdeen Angus cross sold for 990 a 430 kilo limousine cross for sold for 1260 a Shirley cross at 465 sold for 1350 um, and then some of the heifer prices included a Shirley cross 460 kilos selling for 1380 a Shirley cross 465 kilos sold for tw- selling for 1230 and a limousine uh, f- at 480 kilos selling for 1240 euro so there was a number of other Marts reports in which we received. Uh, so from Tum Mart, um, on Monday the 14th of November, some sample cow prices include a 765 kilo Solaire selling for 1860 or 243 a kilo, an 810 kilo short-term cross at 1930 or 238 a kilo, an 840 cross, um, an 840 kilo limousine cross made 2100 or 250 a kilo, a 1020 kilo Charlie cross cull cow made 2620 or 257 a kilo, then some heifer prices, a 390 kilo limousine cross made 1200 or that equate to 308 euro a kilo, a 490 limousine cross made 1500 or 306 a kilo. So then onto some bullock prices, a 455 kilo Belgian blue cross made 1510 or that's 332 a kilo and a 492 kilo Angus cross bullock sold for 1300 or 264. Then just onto some heifer whaling prices. A 270 kilo limousine cross made 960 or 356 a kilo. A 375 limousine cross made 1200 or 320 a kilo. And then just looking at some whaling bulls in June Mart on Monday. 360 kilos limousine cross made uh, 1150 or 319 a kilo. And a 285 kilo limousine cross whaling bull made 860 or that's 3 euro and 2 cent a kilo. Then just looking at the Montbellu Mart uh, cattle sale. Um, there was a larger entry of st- uh, of store bullocks and whaling bulls to the previous week. Uh, brisk trade for store heifers and whaling bulls. The demand for whaling heifers not as good as in the previous week. There will be a special sale of dry cows on Wednesday the 23rd. 
um, as part of the usual uh, sale. So just uh, on to some uh, sample prices there, store heifers on um, Mount Value Mart, a Charlie Cross weighing 620 sold for 1480 or that's 239 a kilo, a Charlie Cross 525 kilo sold for 1270 or that's 242 a kilo. Then looking at some store bullocks in Mount Value Mart, a limousine cross uh, weighing 575 kilos sold for 1200 or 209 a kilo, a Hereford cross weighing 540 kilos sold for 1000 or that's 185 a kilo, another Hereford cross weighing 520 sold for 1000 or 192 a kilo. Then onto the Mount Value Mart sheep sale, um, there was a smaller number on offer this week with not as many breeding yos. Um, so some store uh, lambs and factory lambs were a better trade than the previous week. There was also an approved trade for stag yos. Gates open at 8 a.m. and stags at uh, 10 a.m. and lambs at 11 a.m. and breeders at 12 uh, p.m. So some sample prices as well. Six lambs at 41.7 kilos sold for 115. Ten yo lambs at 46.7 kilos sold for 129. Ten yo lambs at 43.9 kilos sold for 122. Uh, then onto some stag yos. Not as many sheep on offer. Trade a little improved. Prices for stag yos range from 80 to 146. So uh, and then onto some breeding sheep. There was a small number on offer. Hoggets made from 160 to 168. So that's the the Mart reports for the sheep and cattle sales and the reports we've received uh, for the week gone by. First up on Country Life this evening, we're delighted to have former IFA president and previous beef and sheep market analyst with the Irish uh, Farming Independent, Joe Healy. Joe, you're also the independent chairperson of the Board of Collaborative Finance for a, a sizable number of credit unions throughout the country. And of course, uh, the Cultivate Credit Union also sponsors this program, Country Life. Can you tell us a little bit about your role with the credit union, please, Joe? Thanks, Keith. Um, yeah, I got, I suppose the first time I got involved was back in 2017 when uh, a number of the Galway credit unions came together. You had uh, Toom, Loch Ray, Gorton, Ballinasloe, and, um, you know, they wanted to see how they could get into the place more emphasis on the farming lending. And at the time and over the next two years, there was um, an EU funded study done. Uh, where it's shown that there was a gap in the Irish farming market of between 800 million and a billion euros per year. So the credit unions, as I said, it started off here in Galway and um, over the recent years it has increased to there's 46 or 47 credit unions offering it now throughout the country. It's available um, in 25. Uh, three out of the 26 counties and we have a, a meeting in two of those counties over the next coming few weeks in the northwest to try and set it up there and what we found with farmers and as IFA president as MACRA president going back the way access to finance has always been a huge issue and um, you know what farmers like is something that's quick that's simple that's flexible that's local and has the personal touch as well. And, you know, the credit unions tick all those boxes. And I think that's what has helped it to go from strength to strength. As I said, uh, there's close on 50 credit unions offering it now. And um, they're available in 150 different offices all over the country. So, you know, um, the, the applications continue to show massive increase from year to year. And, um, you know, it's it's pretty quick. You don't have to be a member of the particular credit union uh, to get a loan. You can go in and there's a system there that works out a repayment capacity. And, um, you know, most of the applicants, uh, there's a, an incredibly strong, successful application rate, um, you know, because the farmers 
all they have to what they have to show is that the repayment capacity um, and then work with the local credit union thereafter. Okay, John, I suppose what areas, you know, are farmers borrowing money for, I suppose, maybe in relation to farm developments? uh, And maybe why did the credit unions decide to increase their emphasis on agri-lending? Farmers have used the Cultivate loans for a whole heap of different reasons, whether it's, um, you know, land reclamation, whether it's uh, building a slatted shed or building a storage shed uh, to use as working capital, um, increase cash flow. Uh, and even as late as um, earlier this year, we ran an, is- uh, an, an initiative with the credit unions and fertilizer merchants to help farmers uh, with the huge increase that was there in the fertilizer prices. So um, there's a lot of different areas to buy machinery, buy livestock that farmers can use it for. Um, you know, and it's similar no matter what county you go to. It's it's the it's much the same reasons that all the farmers use it for. You know, if they get into any of the environmental schemes, there might be work that they have to do around the farm um, that needs to be funded until they start getting paid from the the various environmental schemes. So, um, you know, that's that's what it has been used for, and um, so far it's it's a very very successful. And the average loans around the country is somewhere between twenty five and twenty eight thousand. And I think it's no coincidence that it was set up here in Galway. I think the the loan structure and the whole way it's it's offered is very suitable to west of ireland farmers and you know the credit unions that are offering here in in galway are very happy with it uh, it has standardized um the loan offering from the credit unions that are involved so farmers know what to expect when they go in and even if they want to look it up on the website cultivate.ie uh, it's very easy to understand it even goes down through the amount that you might want and over the X number of years and the repayments per month, so it's all there, um, you know. And there's also a, a low call number as well. That the, and all that information is there on the website cultivate.ie. And Joe, you spent four years, you know, at the coal face of agri politics as IFA president. You know, while you're not as involved at the moment, you still have a keen interest in agriculture. And I suppose, what are your views on the sector uh, at the moment, you know, and over the next three to five years, locally, nationally, and uh, of course, internationally? That's a, a fairly big question. But I, I think locally, we'll start off there first. And if you if you take Galway, um, well, first of all, I suppose I'd have to say that agriculture is the largest indigenous industry in the country. Uh, it's the one constant, you know, when you take uh, the bust and the bubble and the boom and all the rest, uh, agriculture was the one constant throughout it all. It never probably got too high above itself during the, the boom. And then when the bust came, it was one of the very few sectors that continued to increase uh, employment offerings. But here in Galway, there's just over 13,000 farmers and the average size of farm is 25 hectares. Uh, and the value of the agricultural exports arising from agricultural output um, in this county alone is a half a billion euro. So you can imagine what that's worth when you know when you go outside Galway City, you're really talking about rural areas, and agriculture is the backbone of the, those rural areas. And it's similar around the country. I just saw figures there recently from Borbia where um, the exports arising from agriculture last year were over 15 billion euros and we exported to almost 180 countries around the world 
outside of the farm, there's well, if you take farm and outside of it, there's give or take 300,000 people employed directly or indirectly in Irish agriculture. And, you know, when you talk about exports, and we've heard recently about the different sectors that might be laying off people, but agriculture accounts for almost 10% of our total exports. And I think, you know, over the last 10 years, our exports from agriculture has continued to increase. So I think on the global stage, agriculture and agriculture products from Ireland are well positioned. Um, obviously, the UK, when Brexit came in in uh, 2016, it was a huge worry. It is a, still a huge worry because the UK continues to be our main market. Um, you know, and they are now trying to do trade deals with other countries. But I saw as recently as today... Um, a former Minister for Trade in the UK who more or less admitted, he did admit that he had to talk up their trade deal with Australia, but now that he's no longer the Minister, he can say uh, very clearly that it doesn't offer the UK farmers and the UK public as much as what it was built up to offer. So trade deals aren't easy to do. As part of the EU, first of all, we're part of a market of 440 million people and that's even with the loss of the UK um, it's a pretty lucrative market and uh, you know we can give out about a lot of the things that maybe the EU impose upon us um, and even at the moment we have the twin strategy of the farm to fork and biodiversity strategies which uh, come together to form the Green Deal and I have no problem with those with the targets that the Green Deal lays out I do just worry uh, about that they might lead to carbon leakage because any study that's done on them with the reduction in fertiliser, reduction in pesticides uh, that's been imposed on European farmers, there's going to be a reduction in food output and there's nowhere in the world that food output and uh, from farms is more regulated than across the EU. We've seen Brazil uh, state quite publicly that they want to increase their cattle herd by 23 million head and to put that into perspective we've less than 7 million head here in Ireland they just want to increase their herd by 23 million and um, we saw the Secretary for Agriculture in America call on like-minded countries to come together to increase the production to fill the gap that would undoubtedly be left as a result of the Green Deal in Europe so you know Let's let's have targets. Let's see and do all we can in the whole area of climate change. But let's try and ensure that what we're doing doesn't lead to production increasing elsewhere in order to feed the world and carbon leakage, the obvious outcome of it. Just in terms of sustainability uh, there, Joe, you know, we see the, the Chagas um, programme there, the signpost programme. We're looking at soil sampling, uh, younger age at slaughter, um, you know, a range of different measures there. You know, in terms of climate change, sustainability, we see, we're seeing a lot of uh, targets um, in place for the different sectors, uh, including agriculture, as you previously mentioned. You know, will farmers be able to reach these uh, targets, Joe? They're definitely challenging targets, but... Um I've no doubt any targets that has ever been put in, in front of Irish farmers, they've adapted to them. Um, we're ranked as the most carbon efficient producers of dairy product in Europe and in the top five uh, most carbon efficient producers of beef production. Um, so, you know, when you take those two things into account, uh, again, I'll repeat that we just need to be careful. It's one of the problems, Keith, with national targets, you know, 
it's up to every country to get below a certain level of, uh, of emissions. But then I go back again to the carbon leakage. Um, there's a growing world population. I think around now at this moment, we're expected to cross the 8 billion figure. And over the next uh, two to three decades, that's likely to go to 10 billion. So, you know, there's huge talk about organics as well. Um, and it's, it's, it's well known that, you know, if you wanted to feed uh, the world population at the moment with organic food, you'd need twice the land that's uh, able to feed the world by conventional farming. Um, so, you know, but we do need to, you mentioned it there, soil sampling, just to make sure that the fertilizer that we're using, that it's so dear now anyways and so expensive, that we should only be using exactly the amounts that we need to use. And I think soil sampling and just making sure that, uh, you know, our soils are in proper nutrient condition, whether that's in the proper indexes for P and K and also the pH and the use of lime is very important. So, you know, whatever fertilizer we put out, that we're getting the maximum use out of it in order to produce the food that's undoubtedly wanted. Because despite the trends, no matter what surveys you read, demand for dairy product will increase by 1% per annum over the next three to five years. Demand for meat products will increase by 1.3% per annum um, over the next three to five years and beyond. And that's as a result of, you know, um, the growth in, the first of all, the growth in world population and secondly, the growth in the middle classes that are better able to afford uh, those good protein foods. Um, you know, and we see social media, uh, we see all the different trends in that, but they're, they're the facts. Um, there are a lot of challenges there. The climate change is one. The Ukrainian crisis is, is another. And, um, you know, we don't see any end to that uh, at the moment. So I think um, Brexit isn't gone away either. So there are a lot of challenges there for Irish farmers, but we've always faced up to the challenges and um, we continue to produce top quality food and it was very encouraging there lately in the last month with the global food security index who did a survey over 113 countries for um, food security and they based it around affordability availability sustainability and health and safety and Ireland came second the food that we produce here in Ireland came second out of those 113 countries so I think Irish farmers produce a great product uh, we have 180 markets around the world we're well thought of in all those markets so let's meet the targets around climate change we can be world leaders in that and I've always said that farmers are part of the solution here, not part of the problem. Uh, we're more part of the solution. Um, and let's work together to ensure we're one of the few sectors that has a roadmap, and that's the Chagas uh, Climate Abatement Plan. So, you know, the, the, the help is there, the intelligence is there, the knowledge is there. So let's put it into practice and achieve those targets and be world leaders when it comes to um, sustainability and uh, in the whole climate change debate. Country Life, brought to you by Your Credit Union. Cultivate providing farm-friendly finance across the west of Ireland. Credit unions in Ireland are regulated by the Central Bank. Terms and conditions apply.
So next up, we're delighted to have Frank Hines. So Frank, uh, maybe, you know, just talking about stress has obviously become a major issue for farmers and their families and has become much more, you know, recognised in, in more recent years. Uh, Frank, uh, your work with farmers and their families, helping uh, them cope with all the different cha- challenges uh, they may face and uh, to get and to live, I suppose, a normal and happy life um, while still getting the farm work done. I suppose maybe, Frank, to give our listeners a little background on yourself, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you got involved in this area? First of all, uh, Keith, thanks for having me on the show. I'm delighted to be here and fair play to you for for, uh, running this programme. I think it's a great addition and a great offering for farmers. Um, Myself, I suppose, look, firstly, I I, I consider myself to be a family man. I'm married and I have four adult children. And I say that... As in, as in part because I think it's something that we all the time, whether we're at work on the farm or whether we're at work in an off-farm job, we can actually get so caught up in our day-to-day work that we can oftentimes maybe forget the really important things in life. So I, I would say that as an opening remark. But uh, I've been, I was born and reared on a farm. I've, I'm still involved in doing a small little bit of farming. Um, I've also been working with farmers for over 30 years at this stage. I spent almost 28 years uh, working with Chagask. Um, as an advisor in various parts around the country and then in more recent years as an enterprise specialist where I was helping farm, helping advisors deliver a service to, to farmers linking between the Department of Agriculture and various other agencies and getting the research findings out there and that type of stuff. So I understand in detail what farmers are going through. Now, I left the organisation uh, about four years ago. I was working primarily at that stage with people looking at career change but I got somewhat drawn back to work with the farmers um, as, as because of the whole health and well-being area. And it's something that is really, really significant to me. I set up a programme in 2019 called the Fresh Pastures Programme. And with, through that programme, I deliver a service to farmers, helping them overcome all the challenges. And there's no doubt there's an awful lot of challenges that farmers have faced there. And the idea is really to try and help farmers to enjoy life for themselves, get out of life what they, what, what they can indeed, because you know, they're... Uh, we as farmers are entitled to enjoy life just as much as anybody else and that's what I aim to try and help people to do and that, that's where that's where my involvement in all this comes uh, Keith Okay and suppose Frank you know a lot of people would say you know farmers have come under an awful lot of pressure especially in recent years maybe what do you think would be the main challenges that farmers are facing at present? Yeah there's absolutely no doubt that there's a huge amount of challenges out there and while there are a certain amount of challenges that, 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 that everybody faces in terms of e- e- Rising costs, etc. Farmers are particularly vulnerable because, you know, if you if you if you just firstly look at the the let's say we're very much price takers in the industry. If you look at the past number of years, prices of cattle and prices of sheep and prices of tillage have been particularly pretty poor. Then in the last couple of years, prices increased somewhat, but immediately as soon as that started to happen, farmers seem to be hit with the escalating costs, and we're. We're all all here every day about the rising cost of electricity, the rising cost of oil, fuel, fertilizer, etc. And that in itself can put a huge amount of pressure, financial pressure, and financial pressure, as we know, can can have a huge knock-on effect on everything else. Now, then, if we look at you know what's going on at the moment, in, in, say the, the the talks on the climate change and the COP27, farmers can very much feel like we're being scapegoated or being blamed for what's happening. In in, in actual fact. Farmers really, by and large, want to look after the environment and want to look after their enterprise and to look after 
the, the environment and hand it on in, in good state to the next generation. And yet, when, when we feel that the finger is being pointed to us, it can be very, very upsetting and very, very difficult to cope with that. So that's, that's a, a sort of a second element, really, on top of the cost. Then you have a multitude of other things, you know, even dealing with cross-compliant issues and maintaining, you know, maintaining our farm in a, up, to, up to specification, when in actual fact, it's something that we're striving to do anyway. We have worries of animal health issues. You know, if you think about the the onset of antimicrobial resistance, and I think was it on last week, you had a speaker from from Chagas talking about the problem of of um, antimicrobial resistance, both in terms of cattle and sheep. That can actually have a huge worry if we if we were worried that the animal treatments we normally would have had may not work in the future, and certainly in some cases they're not working at the moment. So those can be added worries. Now farming. Also, Keith has become a much more lonely existence. You know, farmers are working in isolation an awful lot of the time. When I was a young fellow, farming was done kind of on a social basis. You you helped the neighbours and the neighbours helped you. A lot of that really has been eroded. A good day for me today in farming might be sitting on my tractor all day drawing in bales. You know, that's fine if I'm only doing it one, once or twice, uh, you know, a couple of days in the year. But if I'm doing that day in, day out, it can be very, very lonely and very, very isolating. So all of those issues com- combined can put us all under pressure and need us to neglect ourselves, whether it's physical or mental health. Indeed, if our mental health is at risk, our physical health is at risk because we, we, we take, take shortcuts, take chances, and we are all of the time at risk. So we're, we're actually constantly faced with these challenges that maybe in the past, may have, some of them may have existed, but not to the same extent. And, you know, life has moved at such a, a fast pace and we look at the advent of social media, etc. And, and yes, with all that social media, it means that there's less connection with other people. And with the less connection with other people, again, it puts us into that isolated area. Oftentimes, we feel that, you know, we are under stress and maybe we feel that nobody else is on the, in the same boat. But it's, it's, so it's, it's important to realise that, you know, that the pressures are there. And just even to acknowledge it to yourself that, look, at these are pressures that are coming on that are not being created by me, that actually is, is a big step forward to be, being able to recognise that. Yeah, Frank, and I suppose, you know, you've listed a, a good few of the main ones there, you know, challenges, even weather as well, and maybe on top of that at different times of the year. And, you know, Frank, I suppose it's one thing, you know, recognising the different challenges and problems faced by farmers and and, and indeed anyone working maybe in the agri-industry. Agri but, you know, when a farmer finds himself or herself under pressure, you know, what can they do about this situation or how can farmers cope better maybe? Yeah, it's a very good question, Keith, and I... I, I think on, on the offset that there are probably two things that a farmer can do immediately that he can actually do without having to do an offset of thinking about it and the first thing is just to look at his own situation and to recognize that while the, all of these pressures are out there that there are things in, in all of our lives that we can actually be grateful for it might be something nice that somebody said to you it might be just having having family and friends that you can actually lean on, having family and friends that you can connect with on a regular basis. But recognising even the opportunity that you have to work as a, a, you know, as your own boss, managing this resource, this farm, that it does give us a lot of autonomy. And, you know, to, to recognise and be be grateful for the, the aspects of it that you actually are grateful for. And just maybe oftentimes we can, because of the pressures, we can oftentimes forget that. But probably the second thing is something we can also do is ask yourself, 
what can you actually do about the situation? Are there things you can actually do? If, if for example, the, the, the talks that are going on at the moment, uh, in the, the COP27 talks, there is really we as individuals have no influence on those. But there are outcomes that actually might impact us down the line. For example, you know, the, 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 the acres scheme, and you, you, again, you, you had a speaker speaking on your program recently about that. The acres scheme is, is open to farmers. I would suggest that farmers maybe look at that and see are there, is there a way that you as an individual can take advantage of that. Are there measures you can take there where you will actually receive um, compensation for doing certain, certain things on your farm and managing it in a certain way? And rather than looking at it as a threat to you, to see how you can actually turn that into, into an advantage for yourself. You know, again, the, the, the costs of fertilizer, for example, are very high, but maybe you have some land that's very productive and actually worth your while concentrating your fertilizers in those are, are, are indeed improving the fertility of the non-productive stuff so that it actually makes better use of your fertilizer and as a result, you can reduce your overall cost or your overall amount of fertilizer you need to apply. Um, and another example there might be, are you carrying stock that actually are non-productive, maybe some, some poor quality cows or poor quality sheep that are actually not delivering you a huge amount and maybe an opportunity to, to cull fairly hard and get rid of the non-productive animals. Reduce your workload in the meantime, but also reduce the need for pumping in that extra amount of fertilizer and as a result, scale back in your cost. So I would say, Start looking at what you can actually do. How can you take advantage of the progress that are there? Are there, are there changes you can make that will actually make life that little bit easier for you, that will actually result in your overall reducing cost? Now, I'm not trying to simplify or reduce the significance of all these changes. There is no doubt they are there. But if you can look at what you can actually do, it actually can put you more in control. And if you're in, if you're in control, it's actually half the battle. And that, so, uh, I would say, if I would say, in summary of the things you can do, be grateful, identify the things that you actually are grateful for and remember those and focus on those. It puts us into a more positive mood. And secondly, focus on the things you can actually do as opposed to thinking of all the things that are outside your control. Yeah, and you mentioned there, Frank, you know, farmers are obviously price takers, I suppose. What can farmers really do, I suppose, you know, you know, with government and world leaders creating new rules? Are we, you know, possibly are we governed by those of, of course, indeed, we are we are governed by those absolutely. But it, it's 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 very much coming back to those again. When I when I say the, you know, the the the, the government are, are implementing rules. That a lot of a lot of the, the rules and regulations are coming from from Europe. But if again, if we come back and we focus on the the elements that we can actually take advantage of, it puts us it puts us in that more positive situation. It it, it, it focuses our mind in a positive way. It, rather than stewing over the stressful situation and the events that, that are actually taking place, we don't have any influence on what's going to happen in those talks, in, 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 uh, those, for those, uh, the, the COP27 talks. We don't have really any direct influence on the, the, the talks at government level, but we can work within, a, within the confines. We can actually use our, our firm organisations to, to represent us in, the, in that type of stuff, but again, it, it, it doesn't take away the focus. If we, if we can focus on the positive as opposed to focus on the negative, focus on the things we can actually do and take the, the steps in the right direction, it, it actually reduces our stress level, puts us also into, into that much more control. Okay. And Frank, you have a, an online seminar uh, coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe how can people join in or how can they get in contact with you about it? Yeah, over the past number of years, Keith, I, I, I've been running a number of online events and primarily they've been 
targeted at, at, at the men involved in, in, in agriculture. Uh, in, on the 1st of December, I'm jointly running, uh, with the support actually of Skillnet, an event online at, uh, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. It's dealing with mental health, um, uh, you know, what people want from their lives. We're looking at, we have a, a lady there from Menopause Nutrition. We have Kieran Kelleher doing agri-finances. But this is geared very much towards the women in rural Ireland. The seminar geared at women in rural Ireland. And we, we certainly welcome anybody to come along. For anybody who's interested, they can make contact with me. Contact me through frank um, at jobchanger.ie. Email frank at jobchanger.ie or call me. My number is 87 and I'll send down the details to those people of, of how to actually register. Uh, we'd love to see some people involved in this. We'd love to, you know, it's, it's gearing towards the women involved in agriculture. Uh, Skillnet has a charge on this. However, for people who make contact with me, you know, in the, in the way I mentioned there, uh, I can actually, I will actually be able to arrange that they don't actually have to pay. They can actually get access to it for free if they if they are so interested. So I'd love to hear from from people. Uh, who are interested in it, and and uh, I'm you know confident that it's uh, it's something that will be very very worthwhile to the you know to the women of of the country really, and to the women that are involved in involved in agriculture. Okay, so if you just want to give them a mention there, how they can contact you again, Frank? Yeah, my my email is frank at jobchanger.ie, and my mobile number is 87 2832761 and I'd be delighted to hear from anybody. 87 2832761 so that was uh, Frank Hines thank you very much for coming on uh, Country Life so that's frank at jobchanger.ie um, and he also gave his number there as well so thanks very much for coming on Country Life Frank Country Life brought to you by your credit union Renovate your credit union is the foundation to your home renovations credit unions in Ireland are regulated by the central bank terms and conditions apply so next up on Country Life we're delighted to have Joe Kelleher uh, an organic specialist with us so Joe you're very welcome on to Country Life uh, you work as an organic specialist with Chagas I suppose maybe if you want to tell us a little bit about organic farming and who may it suit thanks Keith uh, yeah our, the organic farming scheme is open there since the 20th of October and it's open till the 9th of December so we've a lot of farmers uh, looking at us at the moment uh, I suppose often I kind of break it into two is, is is what farmer does it suit and what farm does it suit. So the farmer, I suppose, really has to be someone that's kind of open-minded, that's willing to change their farm system, that's willing to look at doing things slightly different. Uh, environmentally conscious would be a big part of it and you're kind of working with nature. So, for example, if you're the kind of farmer that looks out the kitchen window in the morning and you see a few weeds out in the front field, out the front of the house, and your natural reaction is to run for the knapsack to spray them, then maybe organics isn't a good fit for you. Um, whereas if you're the farmer that has been planting a few trees and fencing off trees and putting in farm ponds and things like that, you're obviously very environmentally conscious and then organic farming might be a very good fit for that farmer. Uh, with regards to the farm, it ideally suits farmers that are lowly stocked, and have ideally good levels of clover on their farms as well so they can maintain in the grass growth rates at a decent level and maintain a decent stock rate and a decent output um, and might be minimal changes to their stocking rate as well. Okay, okay. And I suppose what are farmers seeing as the biggest obstacle, you know, preventing them from going in, going joining the organic scheme maybe? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a, number of ob- a number of obstacles. Um, I suppose one of the most practical ones that we come across for the beef farmers in particular, the host, the animal housing. 
because we have a huge number of farmers with just your typical slatted shed uh, and there's no, the cattle are lying in the slats in the winter and there's no strawberry to lie back. And one of the rules in organic is that the, all cattle must have access to a solid floor lying area. Um, so that typically is a straw bedded shed or it can be a cubicle house as well. But in the in the case of straw bedded shed, 50% of the floor area of a minimum must be solid floor area and the rest of it can be slatted. So they can come out into the slats to eat, but they have to have access to another shed where they can go in and lie down, ideally on a straw bedded shed. And it's it's the that shed is missing in a lot of yards and it's the cost of putting in that shed that is off-putting for some farmers. Now we have the TAMS is going up to 60% next January for all organic farmers. So anyone that needs to build that straw bit of shed now will get a 60% uh, grant whether you're a young farmer or not. Uh, so that is encouraging. The other obstacles, I suppose, is sometimes it's kind of the social factors, like what the neighbours think is often one, um, if I go organic, and that often puts people off. So it, sometimes you can have maybe generational differences of opinion so maybe the mother or father want to go in or the son or daughter don't or vice versa uh, so there's a, there's a multitude of factors but they're, they're some of the more common ones Okay okay and just in relation to you know veterinary products are, are farmers allowed to use veterinary products uh, dosing etc in relation to organics? Yeah I suppose that's one of the misconceptions that's out there is that uh, you can pretty much use the full range of veterinary products that you probably currently are using in organics the, the number one uh, principle in organics is that the welfare of the animal comes ahead of everything else. So if an animal is suffering or needs treatment for any particular ailment, that animal is entitled to get whatever antibiotic or treatment that animal needs to treat that ailment. So that's that's the overriding principle over th- everything else. I suppose where the difference comes in is what happens before you treat the animal and what happens afterwards is where the, the key differences are. So before, the vet has to um, give the okay for every product. So even if it's a worm dose, uh, the vet has to say that this animal needs it. And ideally, we wouldn't be going into a group of weanlands, with say, and dosing the whole lot of them. If there's 20 weanlands and there's 10 of them healthy out, you wouldn't dose the 10 healthy ones. You just dose, dose the 10 maybe that are not thriving. Uh, and ideally, you'd be doing a faecal egg test to, to show what the issue is. Then what happens afterwards is the withdrawal period is doubled. So um, it's important to take note of the products you're using, the withdrawal period, and then note how long that's going to be. For some of the, the sheep products there in particular, for fly striking that, there can be long enough withdrawal periods. You need to watch the dates if you're going to sell in lambs um, as to what product you use and what withdrawal period and when it's going to, to expire. So watch. Okay. The other kind of key thing to watch out for is for breeding animals, you're allowed to use two courses of antibiotics over a 12-month period. So your buckler cows, your yos, your dairy cows. And for animals for meat production, they're only allowed one course of antibiotics over a 12-month period. If you exceed that, you cannot sell those animals into the organic food chain. Okay, so they'd have to go into the conventional chain. Exactly. Okay, exactly. okay. And just uh, another question, roughly on, on the commonage, you know, farmers with commonages in different areas, are, are, can they join the organic farming scheme? They can, yeah. Uh, you won't get paid on the commonage land, but that's not to say you can't join the organic farming scheme. So if I have 40 hectares of commonage, uh, I can come into the organic scheme. I can farm away as normal. Uh, I'm going to be farming the commonage organically, which they all are farmed that way anyway. Um, but I won't get paid on it. I have to guarantee, have to guarantee that my uh, flock are hefted, that they're not mixing with other flocks on the commonage. Is, is one of the rules. Um, but yeah, you can bring it in. It's the same as rented land. 
with rented land, you can you can bring it into organics with you. You have to farm it organically, but you just won't get paid the premium on those hectares. Do you, and do you have to sell your flock if you want to join organics, or how does that work? No, you can bring your existing flock or your existing herd with you into organics. They'll convert with you. So take the suckler cow, herd the suckler cows, for example. You can keep your existing herd of suckler cows. They come into organics with you. Um, those cows will never become organic themselves, but their calves will. So, and it's the same with your flock of yews. The yews themselves will never become organic, but uh, they're, they're, the lambs will. So, it's, 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 again, it's one of the, the myths that's out there that you can sell everything and buy in again. And, of course, for the, for the farmer that's buying and selling uh, a lot of stock, uh, they have, once they go into organics, they have to buy organic stock or in-conversion stock from other organic farmers. Okay, okay. And what rates, uh, Joe, are available uh, for the organic farming scheme? So the rates took a good jump uh, this time around from the previous uh, scheme. So for the dry stock farmer, I suppose, is is who we're dealing with typically. For the dry stock farmer, uh, he or she will get €300 per hectare, uh, up to 70 hectares in years one and two. And then that drops back to €250 per hectare uh, in years three, four and five. And in addition to that, um, they're going to get a participation payment, which is a new element to the scheme, of €2,000 in year one and €1,400 in years two, three, four and five. And that's in addition to the per hectare rates. That's to cover, the, there's a, you have to become licensed once you go organic, and that's to cover the license and fee, um, the likes of attending courses and things like that, because that was one of the obstacles that was there as well, preventing farmers from coming in. So to get over that obstacle of the department, have put in this upfront payment to compensate farmers for these costs that they're incurring. Um, so if you take, if you happen to be a hill sheep farmer down the west coast uh, with the 70 hectares, the maximum of the land that you get paid on, or the, the max you get paid the high rate on, um, that, that will bring you in about 100,000 over the five years of the scheme. So it's a seriously attractive payment and it's one that every every farmer really needs to sit down and take a look at it. And for most farmers, like the, the changes are going to be, for most dry stock farmers, the beef and sheep farmers, the changes are going to be quite minimal. The beef farmers, yes, there's a bit of thinking to be doing around the housing. But other than that, for most cha- most farmers, the changes are quite minimal. And it's a case, if you're spreading a pallet or two of fertilizer this year gone, you have to ask yourself, if I got rid of that pallet to a fertilizer, kept a few less cattle, uh, got my check in the post, hopefully get a premium on my cattle, have less costs, I've hopefully a little more money coming in the gate. Would I be better off? And you'll find the answer in most cases is yes, they would. Okay, okay. And how do farmers go about joining, Joe? So there's there's kind of four steps. And I suppose the one that most people need to worry about is step one, really, to focus on, because that's the one that the deadline of the 9th of December focuses on. So if you have your mind made up that organic farming is for you, the first thing you need to do is ring one of the organic certification bodies. There's two of them in the country that deal with land-based activities. There's the Organic Trust and the Irish Organic Association. So you ring one of the two of them and you say, I'm looking for a starter pack. They send you out a starter pack with a, a whole host of forms, application forms in it, and conversion plans and things like that in it. You fill that out and you return that to them by the 9th of December. And that's you started on the process of becoming a licensed organic operator. The second, second step, which is is more important but if you want to get the check in the post is you have to apply Country Life to brought to you by your credit union education so from enrollment to graduation 
Your credit union supports your education. Credit unions in Ireland are regulated by the central bank. Terms and conditions apply. Or if you're doing it yourself, you can do it through food yourself. But you can't do step two until step one is done because the organic certification body have to send across a form to the department to let them know that you've applied. And once that's sent across, then the ag food system will go live for you. So step one applies to your organic certification body. Step two is applies to the Department of Agriculture. Step three then is you have to make changes next spring to your basic payment form. You have to tell the department that you've applied for the organic scheme on the front of the form and you have to select which parcels are in conversion and which parcels are fully organic because that determines the rate of pay you get uh, over the number of years. And step four then is you have to do a 25-hour organic farming principles course which you have until next October, this time next year really, to, to complete that. So there are the four steps of how you go about uh, getting certified organic and getting your, your payment in the post. Very good. So that was Joe Kelleher uh, from Chagas. It was an organic specialist. So that's it for this week's and uh, Country Life. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you have any questions about this week's topics or if you'd like a topic covered on the show, please don't uh, hesitate to email us at countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie. That's countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie. And I'll get back to you. Country Life, brought to you by your credit union. Personal lending, from small to big. Celebrate the special occasions in life with a personal loan from your credit union. Credit unions in Ireland are regulated by the Central Bank. Terms and conditions apply.